0: Welcome to the Second Chance Podcast, I'm Raphael Rowe, your host. This show centres around the question of who deserves a second chance, who has the power to grant it and what it means. Our guests come from diverse backgrounds and experiences, including those who have received second chances and those who some might feel are undeserving. We'll also be looking at how a person's journey can lead them to a second chance. In today's world where news travels quickly and public scrutiny is constant, safeguarding a celebrity's image is no easy task. Even minor missteps can have a significant impact on their reputation, particularly with the rise of social media. Therefore, it's essential to have a skilled and experienced legal representative who can handle reputational risk and navigate the complexities of reputation management. Repairing the damage to a celebrity's image can be challenging once the harm has already been done. High-profile cases such as those involving Russell Brand, Colleen Rooney and Rebecca Vardy, actor Noel Clark and other high-profile stories like Philip Schofield are just some of the examples where managing and repairing the harm caused to a celebrity's image can be extremely challenging. In this episode, I spoke with James Moodley, a proficient commercial litigator who specialises in complex cases involving reputational risk and suspected fraud. With years of experience in handling high-profile cases, James is the go-to expert for celebrities and corporations who need help managing their image. He ensures that his clients' best interests are always protected, while also trying to manage public perception of their image, whether they're guilty or not. You can also listen to my interview with James on my audio book, You Are Accused, available and audible. Click the link in the description or search for You Are Accused by Raphael Rowe to get your copy. I think the best place to start is to ask you what you do. You know, when I'm looking at celebrities or people in the public eye Who are facing accusations, whatever those accusations may be, or if they themselves are making accusations. Um, You often then hear of these kind of litigations, these sorts of cases. So before we get into any kind of details about what that entails, just tell me a little bit about what you do as a profession.
1: Okay. First of all, hi, Ralph. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate the opportunity. So I am a solicitor and I work in the civil world, so I don't do anything criminal. Um, I work in the civil world uh, of courts, so to speak. I work for a firm called Tenant Litigation and Compliance Limited. Uh, For short, it's Tenant Law. And I'm just going to provide a background as to what we do as a firm first because that will then contextualise what I do and bring everything together neatly. So we're an award-winning specialist dispute resolution and compliance firm with a focus on fraud and financial crime. So my client base ranges from... FTSE 100 companies all the way through to SMEs and high profile individuals such as celebrities that you've just alluded to. So I lead the firm sports and entertainment sector and I've got a particular focus on reputation management and contentious media law. So my practice is splitting to two in effect. The first half is working for corporate clients And that could be preventing and resolving disputes ranging from breach of contract, shareholder, director and partnership disputes, all the way through to fraud, uh, so cybercrime, email scams, investment scams, so on. The bit that we're speaking about today is my focus on the sports and entertainment sector and to my high-profile client base, which consists of people from the sports world, So whether that's footballers or rugby stars, the media world, sports agents, music, TV, all walks of life. People that you and I will class as celebrities and we'll come on to what is a true celebrity in in a while. But my specialities allow me to look after those individuals from a reputation management point of view. And I cover off defamation, privacy, crisis management and general reputational support for them.
0: Defamation is is one of those things we we hear quite a lot Um, and I'd be interested to to understand a little bit more about what that means because I suppose that's when somebody says something about somebody and it undermines who they are as a personality or, or a corporate. But how does somebody like yourself, a solicitor or your firm as solicitors, How do clients come to you in the first place? You know, somebody is being dragged through the media or accused of something that they say they haven't done. And we know of a few footballers at the moment who are being accused of very serious offenses, for example, and people who are accusing each other of things that um, uh, have been through the courts recently. But how does a client come to you and say, right, I want you to help me because they are doing something that's not fair to me, if that's what they say?
1: Yeah, and you're right, I think we'll explore defamation probably later on in this conversation. But in relation to how do people come to me, that's a really good question. So I was really fortunate, probably around six or seven years ago, to start working in the celebrity or high-profile world, so to speak. Uh, acted on behalf of a number of clients, and that client base just grew. And it grew to a significant number of people. And I think the key thing is to why that grew is trust. And just being a normal, down-to-earth person, I'd like to think. So, celebrities, as you well know, they live a high-profile lifestyle. If you believe the newspaper, or the media, or the media, but actually in reality, their circle of friends and those that they can really trust are really, really small. Because people are always looking for the next story, or people are always trying to understand what are they doing. And it's it's a real shame because. Let's not forget these celebrities or people we class as celebrities, they're normal people like you and I. They enter the world like you and I, they've got normal lives, they've got life pressures, albeit they may be on different scales, but they go through exactly the trials and tribulations that you and I do. Family problems, personal problems, you name it. But unfortunately, these people are often taken advantage of, whether that's financially or reputationally. And because I built up such a good rapport with the client base that I had through word of mouth, people now come to me. And it's because these people live in a such close-knit community where trust is vital in everything that they do. And once you've got that trust, until you break it, they will always come to you for support. If you do a good job, obviously, and they like you. And I think personality is a massive thing. But my client base has grown and grown. And if people get into trouble, so whether that is a accusation has been made that is false, whether they have Seen a story or been alerted to a story that is going to be published online, whether now through the instant accessibility of Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, you name it, that media has opened up the possibility of an individual, whether that story is true or false that they publish within a matter of seconds, simply clicking their iPhone or iPad or whatever phone they may have, and they've got a global audience in the click of one button. Now, that is really scary. No one vets what they do. And there are a lot of stories out there where my clients are subject to simply false and damaging information that can go viral. And we've all heard that term and they turn to me for help. Now, I'm a big believer and I'll bang the drum all day long, Raf, on education is key. And whether that is education in relation to preventing these kind of issues from happening. So how best do you do that? Or how do you respond to it in a timely and quickly manner? to limit the damage to any the reputation that you have built up and again let's not forget reputation it takes years to build a good strong brand A reputation it takes seconds to be blitzed and disintegrated so that's a long answer to a short question but it's trust raf they come to me because they trust that i'm good at what i do i'll look after them and i'll be honest and they know that i will give a hundred percent It's it's fascinating actually what what what
0: you've just talked about, because we don't normalize celebrities, do we? We think they're fair game. And I suppose that's the question, really, you know, when false or damaging allegations are being made, either by the media themselves, who are cocking up a story to, um, you, you know, write something, because they know it might sell a newspaper, or it might You know, it's just something different about somebody who scores a terrific goal or, or, you know, packs a great punch. It's more than the sport that they do. What kinds of false and damaging allegations would a celebrity in the world that you represent them want to take it into the public domain? Um, Because wouldn't that be more damaging? that they are trying to fight a false allegation or a damaging allegation or some accusation? Wouldn't it be more damaging to their reputation rather than you know just allow it to go
1: past? I don't know. It's a really, really good point, Raph, and one that I have with clients on a daily basis, the conversation. So more than three quarters of what I do, people will never be aware that I've done it. For a client to go through the court process is the true last resort. Going to court in the public arena plays out all of the things that you may not want to be played out in front of a public audience. Now, if you think, if you are a celebrity, so a celebrity, sweeping statement, people think celebrities are those that are in the public eye either on the TV, are a leader in their field, whether that's sports or music, or now whether they're an internet celebrity. I think the general general feel is that you see a celebrity on a daily basis, or you hear of a celebrity, or you're on TV, you're in that lens that exemplifies everything. Now for that reason, unfortunately for the individual who could be, be a celebrity, if you go to court, that elevates the interest in the case straight away. Now is that good or bad? Nine times out of 10, I think that's bad. But don't
0: celebrities court that attention by taking a case to court? I mean, I'm, I, I, I want to talk about the kind of uh, Vardy and Rooney case. I know you weren't directly involved in that case, but it's, it, it's kind of a, a classic example. And it felt in that particular case that. You know, it was being played out on the steps before they went in the court. Only those privy to the court case themselves would have heard the real details. But the kind of walking into the court, the the media circus was all part of that attention. Or that's what it felt like at times for me.
1: I couldn't agree more. Rooney, Vardy, Depp, the Sun newspaper, those are two of the high profile media cases that we've seen in this country over the last couple of years. And I think you're not going to see anything like that again for a good couple of years because my personal opinion, no one walked away from that unscathed. And I think Vardy has given interviews after basically saying hindsight is a wonderful thing. Would she have done what she did again? Probably not because the whole life was played out in the press for a good number of weeks slash months slash years if you look at the case. This all started, my understanding, is back in 2019, October 2019, and it didn't get to court until earlier this year. The big question for an individual is, is the point of principle or is the damage to your reputation that severe that you are left with no alternative but to try and get recourse through a public court proceedings action? And I think the damage is so fundamental, no one walks away from court unblemished there is litigation risk. The costs are substantial. Again, I think my understanding is that Vardy has been ordered to pay Rooney £1.5 million in legal costs alone. Now that is just Rooney's legal costs. That isn't Vardy's. She needs to bear all of her legal costs as well. So all of a sudden, without any victory or whatever the judgment may be, put that to one side, You've probably spent the best part of two and a half, three million pounds on legal teams. Now, you need to put that in commercial focus. If you, as an individual, were to come to me saying, I think I've been that harmed, I have left with no alternative but to go to court and try and receive, and let's not forget that the court test is on the balance of probabilities. So, if you have a superb legal team and a superb barrister, which Rooney really did. In my view, David Sherborne is one of the best media barristers around. His client base is to die for if you look at who he's acting for. All it takes is to sway a judge who, again, is a normal person, can have a good, can have a bad day, can have a bad week. Who knows what's going on in their private life? Their sole focus is a court case for however long it may take. And if they come to the decision that on the balance of probabilities, what you are saying is true or false, that has a massive impact on the winner and loser. So before any of my clients say, James, I want to go to court, we always have a serious conversation. Is it worth it cost effectively? And is it worth it from a reputation or point of view? Nine times out of 10, the answer to that is no, which is what I go back to saying, what I do three quarters of the time is behind the scenes. So it's removing stuff from the internet. It's either liaising with publishers to alter a story to make sure it's fair, to make sure it's reflective, to prohibit them from printing the story in the first place. Working with PR companies to put a spin on the this press story that has been released is damaging, but may not necessarily be true. So we work with PR people to put a positive spin on what is disinformation and to try and reflect that so the general public can either read between the lines as to the truth, or we've put across what the truth is and leave it to them to make an informed decision as to whose side they come down on and who is simply telling the truth.
0: And I suppose it makes me wonder about the the accusations or the stories that are, are being pushed about the individual If it's not tested in a court in some way where all the information is laid out to some extent, and I know courts are are not seekers of truth all the time, but but it feels a little bit like the the way you've just explained it, James, you know, when I look at it from an ordinary member of the public's point of view, it's like, ah, there's some information about X, Y, Z and what you've done is you've kept that information from going public, which means they've hidden the truth and they've put a spin on it to give another side of the story. At what point do your clients and do you have to make, and I know you say like 90% of your clients should try and stop from going to court because it's a financial cost and it could be more damaging to them regardless of the fact that they're trying to get the truth across. How does the public know that the the accusations that you're protecting your clients from are are truthful or
1: false? Again, it's a really good point. And I think whilst whilst the majority of matters may not go to the courts of England and Wales, they certainly go to the court of the public opinion. And the court of the public opinion is brutal. There is no way to make sure that what you put across people know is 100% the truth. There are always two sides to a story, whether that's positive or negative. People are people. Recollections may differ. Memory may fade. Events get taken out of context. The more people that get involved, the more spin-off stories. It's the old saying, isn't it? It's Chinese whispers. What may start as the truth may not be the truth four or five people after that it's been told because each one adds their own little sparkle or glitz to it, whether that's a positive or negative. I think the challenge for me as a media lawyer looking after the clients that I do is to make sure that they are protected as possible. And hopefully that is by trying to inform the public of what is the truth from our client's perspective? What are we Does trying... that matter?
0: Does it matter, James, what the truth is? If your sole remit is to represent your client, and this is not a question of your integrity, it's more a question of how these things are played out so we have that information, that insight. Does it matter whether you are seeking the truth or not? Because if your client is being accused of something that could damage their reputation, whether it's true or not, it's going to damage their reputation if it gets into the public
1: domain? I think there's two sides to that question, Raf. One is professionally, as you say, I act on behalf of a client, whoever that client may be, and I need to act in their best interests. What I can't do is lie because I would be breaking the rules as a solicitor that I am duty-bound by, but I need to protect my client's interest as best as possible. And when a problem comes to me, think about what the strategy is to deal with the problem or the issue in hand and how best to deal with that. What I would say is that most of the clients, if not all of the clients that I represent, the truth is a really powerful thing, Raf. People make mistakes. We're human. They're human. I've made mistakes. I'm sure you have in the past. It's not the mistake that you make, it's how you come back from it. and Do you become a better person? Do you learn from it? Do you not repeat that mistake again? Do you help others avoid that mistake? And I think the conversations that I have with clients is, if you've made a mistake, that's absolutely fine. It's a lot better to maybe own that mistake and then put a positive aspect on that than blatantly lie or distort the truth to say that you haven't done something when, again, in the world of everyone now, regardless of make, has a phone in their pocket that has a camera attached to it. If you have done something out in the street or in a public, and even to a degree in your own home, whether that's friends or acquaintances, acquaintances being a key word. A lot of my clients have acquaintances who they can't trust, sell stories, do whatever they may to them. There is no coming back from if you are recorded or video doing something. Yes, you can interpret it in a different way. Yes, you can spin it various ways. But I would also always, sorry, take the approach of own the truth, admit it, learn from it, move on and make it so it's a positive rather than a negative in your life. And that way you have no skeletons in your closet. Do you think the
0: the the public are as forgiving? Do you think, I'm just thinking of Zuma, Chelsea defender, yeah. it, you know, his brother, I think. And I don't know the ins and outs of the story. I'm just regurgitating what was in the media. His brother um, videoed him, you know, pushing a cat away with his foot or kicking the cat. And that went, you know, viral and he, you know, although he was supported by his manager at the time, you didn't know whether that was because he needed him in the team to help the team. I, I think is at West Ham at the time yeah. to help him with the squad or whether it was because he was privy to more information about that video and that content. But do you think that the public are forgiving? Because in cases like that, and I suspect that these are the sorts of cases where you would come into play and people who do what you do would come into play to try and damage the limitation in the face of sort of video evidence that you just talked about can easily be captured. Do you think the public are forgiving of those that are accused in the, in the public domain celebrities? when they've been, I wouldn't say called bank to write, but there is, like you say, audio or video evidence that shows that they did something that is, in many people's eyes, unacceptable?
1: Yeah, so I think we live in a society, and I keep repeating this, where everyone has instant accessibility to the general public, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You don't need to be a media outlet to have an opinion or print a story. Anyone can do it now. I think the public are led by the mainstream media and are led heavily by popular internet medium, whatever that may be. The public only see what is in front of them. They never have the opportunity to go behind the lens and see that maybe that one incident is just a snippet in time. Before then, Other positive things may exist. But unfortunately, you live and die by your sword. And if you are caught doing, or if you're accused of doing something that the public are not a fan of, animal cruelty, the public just simply do not like that. Maybe if it was a different story, it would be different. But I think there are certain hot topics that people, celebrities, can't hide from. And if you do certain things then unfortunately the blowback is quite significant. And that's where I come into helping people assess risk. Now it's an unfortunate state of play where I have to speak to clients and say, be careful of the people you have around you. Be careful of the videos that are taken of you in any way, shape or form. Not necessarily a night out when you're drinking or you're out with friends, as we all do, but actually even when it comes to it in your own house, in your own car, think about what you're saying. Whilst it may be a joke to you and your friends, that joke may not be funny to many, many other people. So unfortunately, celebrities, they have to always be alive to the fact there is risk in what they say, in what they do, in what their actions are. And that is a sad world, Raf, if you think about it. These celebrities, they are predominantly good at their job, They have been elevated to a point in the public eye where they are leaders in their field, whether that's musicians, whether that's actors, whether that's sports stars. They are the elite. They are the best of the best. That's why they are in the public eye. That's why we talk about them. That's why we look to them for guidance, how we should behave. And I think it brings into a a whole new conversation of... Is it right that we put these people, through no fault of their own, on a platform when they are just skin, exactly like you and I are, but they are in front of us more than general people are? So I think there's a lot of conversation to have around, do we as a society treat celebrities fairly? But equally, do celebrities take the responsibilities they have Seriously enough, and do they do enough to protect themselves and those around them? Two
0: things come from that for me, James. I suppose the first thing is you talked about you know a- a- anybody can be a publisher, anybody can upload and uh you know send pictures, videos, audio to the various different social media platforms, and if they are in a relationship with a celebrity or if they um like you say come across a celebrity in a nightclub doing something with their mates that is fun to them but is seen as inappropriate to the person capturing them on video, et cetera, et cetera. So it begs the question, do you as a media lawyer and somebody that works in this space, do you think that there is enough regulation? Do you think that these platforms are regulated enough so that people can't make false allegations on these platforms that even when they're taken down, the damage is done, it's too late?
1: Absolutely not, is the short answer. Um, I don't think there is enough protection in the mainstream press, let alone, let's call it the unregulated social media channels that exist. I think, let's put aside a celebrity. If someone was to make a serious accusation, whatever that may be, against me as a person, I know for a fact that would have a damaging impact on my family, on me as an individual, on my friends that are linked to me, and more importantly, my job as a lawyer. Now, a serious accusation could potentially lead to me losing all that I have around me through no fault of my own. It may have no substance, it may have no basis, but straight away, I am on the back foot and I need to prove that I am innocent. And proving innocence, once you have been tarnished with a guilty brush, as you well know, is an uphill struggle from day dot. And through whose fault? It's not through my fault. I've been sat at home drinking a cup of tea. Someone has been on the media saying that I have been somewhere or done something or said something that I shouldn't have done. Now, I don't know whether I have or I haven't, but that is out there in the internet system, in the e-world that could well be picked up. Now, if you apply that to a celebrity, it's automatically worse. Celebrities rely on their reputation as a career, certainly for entertainment or music. Zuma, as you said, Kurt Zuma playing for West Ham, I think he was banned for a number of games by his club. I think he was fined as well. I don't know whether it was by his club or the FA. Financial consequences. An accusation is a serious, serious issue for anyone that lives in this world. And it's unfortunate that there is always. Almost this you are guilty before before proven innocent when it should be the other way around, and I think these social media channels and press they leave a lot to be desired and can have a real negative impact on people. I've acted on behalf of a number of clients where press stories that were not true, undoubtedly not true that were were a result of phone hacking, have caused them to lose family members, have caused them to lose loved ones has caused them to lose girlfriends, boyfriends, wives, husbands, close friends, where their close-knit group has gone down to two or three people they can trust. Now, that is a lonely world to live in, a real lonely world. So, no, there should be far much done.
0: do, Do you think the public are aware... Of of how serious, I mean, because when I listen to you explain it, Jones, it seems far more serious than than I imagined. You know, because you're getting behind the scenes. We know, uh, and I talk about the as you do, you know, the Depp case, the Vardy and Rooney case, because they were just played out here in the UK. But but this is equally something that is an issue globally, I suppose. You know, damaging somebody's reputation who is in the public eye, whatever their their role or responsibility is if the accusation is false and there's no coming back what about if the accusation is true and the celebrity is attempting to keep that accusation or that information away from the public what what do we think about that um, and I'm not asking you as a lawyer who defends individuals I'm just wondering how the pub- so I can see how the public would react to you know, the false accusations, they are not privy to all the information. They might just see the headline and never read the, the detail. And therefore the, the explanation or the apology, as we often go on about front page story, person's bad, apology, apology, page 26 in the little small print. You, you know, nobody sees that. What about when the accusation is, is true? How challenging is that?
1: It's really challenging, but let me deal with one of the first points you made. So. The general public love nothing more, and I include myself in this, than entertainment. What is entertainment? I think the line that the general public walk and the celebrities walk, and let's not forget, celebrities on the whole need to strike a fine balance between needing the press to progress their career, but equally protecting themselves from the press because of the damage that it can do to them. It's quite ironic they both need one another and yet actually they the celebrities would probably in an ideal world choose not to be anywhere near them but they can't do that that's just the way that modern society is built up how everything functions in this world i think the Depp case the Vardy case you see that on front pages you can even listen to the court case over america and it's entertainment people are interested I think it's very, very easy to lose sight. These are people's lives. That's the seriousness of it. These are people's lives. Depp wanted to vindicate that everything that was being said about him was not true, because if it was, there was a belief that he wouldn't continue, or wouldn't be able to, continue to appear in the high-profile films that he has become accustomed to. So he needed, or he felt he had little choice but to try and go to court and hopefully get a positive verdict, which he did. Now, on the flip side of that in America, not over here because it was against the Sun, but on the flip side of that, you've got Amber Heard. Amber Heard is now, if again, you believe press reports, struggling to pay the judgment that was awarded against Depp and also struggling to take part in the films that she was accustomed to herself. So there's always two sides to it. Coming back to your other question of how to deal with something, if it is true, there have always been occasions historically of people obtaining super injunctions. They used to be referred to in the press as super injunction. So you would have traditionally these blacked out images on the front of the page, can't name the names, but they've stopped us from printing a story about X, Y, and Z, and you'll never hear them about, about them again. Unless what then became the norm, or seemed to become the norm, is NMP using parliamentary privilege to name certain people, which would bypass all of that. And they were then protected from any defamation or any media case that could be brought against them because they were protected by privilege.
0: So just, just explain that for me. You're saying where the media couldn't print the identity of the individual, politicians could identify them and I, in, cor- um, in 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 Parliament So and yeah, they are protected.
1: Again, Rafa, I don't understand the ins and outs of it, um, so I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I do. All I know is that the MPs use their parliamentary privilege to name those that the media could not. I don't know how it works. One would imagine that because they are a MP, they come with certain privileges, and a privilege would be to do what they want in the confines of the House of Lords or the House of Commons, whatever that may be. But there have been occasions historically where names have came out and have been mentioned, and it's blown apart the super injunctions that have been placed on individuals. But it's a really fine line, Raf, and I don't really have the answer to you. If it is truthful, then there is an argument that we are entitled to know that if you look up to someone and if your children admire them and support them and treat them as a beacon in their life to live and breathe by, if they've done something wrong, then theoretically, I suppose we should all know about it. What's the trickiest
0: accusation case, without naming anyone, but what's the trickiest accusation case that you yourself have been involved in that you can share?
1: I can't obviously name names because half of the reason why people come to me is for discretion and to obviously make sure that their names will never get into the press. But what I would say is, I have dealt with, and I I won't focus specifically on one, but I've dealt with, theoretically, career-ending allegations, whether that is cheating, potentially, on loved ones, whether that is doing things that are detrimental to their career that could have a real impact It really ranges, Raph, but the the broad synopsis of it is that, and what, what I will caveat that with is these are untrue. So I'm told that on all of the occasions I've acted, they are untrue. And that has proved to be the case because we have been successful in stopping things from coming out or being published or whatever that may be to protect the reputation. It is serious accusations that, will have a serious impact on their life and livelihoods and families. And to me, protecting someone that is innocent, that does have a family that can be impacted with a little boy myself, I wouldn't want my family to live and breathe that. And if I can help people avoid that, I always will do my utmost to ensure that is done. So I haven't really answered your question there, but I haven't answered it on purpose.
0: I get that, but it makes me wonder not your answer to my question on the specific cases, but it makes me wonder what the motive is then of those that make false allegations against celebrities or high-profile individuals who may in themselves be quite wealthy. I wonder if there is a motive other than just making a false allegation. And in your experience, do you find that some of these false allegations that you are fighting to keep out of the public domain um, to protect your client's reputation, rightly so, because the accusation is untrue. I mean, blackmail is a, a strong word, but maybe an exploitation, whether it's by a friend who has a who can at least say, well, I was friends with this individual for such a long time, so you've got to believe me, because why would I lie about my friend? But it might be they've fallen out and they make a false allegation. If the individual doesn't, and I'll say it, pay them a lump of money or something. So in your experience, what do you find is the the motive behind some of the false allegations? Um, And I know you can't answer for for many cases, James, but is there a, a financial incentive?
1: I think I'll start by answering this question by saying individuals, people have different drivers in their lives. They have different objectives, whether that is right or wrong. I think I can bring that down to maybe two or three points. One is undoubtedly financials. There are some people in this world driven that want money and whether You know, blackmail is a strong word, as you said, Ralph, but let's just use it. Whether it's blackmail, whether it's a shakedown, whether it's extortion, all strong words. But the general gist is they know someone has more money than they do. They would like a slice of the pie. Maybe they're jealous. Maybe they think they should be where they are. Who knows? People do different things for different reasons. But undoubtedly, on some occasions that I've come across, it is nothing more than a financial reward. There is also then the angle of people who may have been on the same I'll call it level friends acquaintances. The other person is kicked on. they are jealous that they have gone to the next level and they've they've stagnated or they've gone downwards or they haven't they haven't fulfilled their aspirations in life, and sometimes it's just pure jealousy, so it may not be financial, it may just be jealousy of. I don't think this person should be doing as well. It should have been me. Um, I'm going to sell some of the stories that I know exist or we have done together and they have never come out. And I think the third camp is simply the media, whoever that may be, love nothing more than to pick on high-profile celebrities to find a negative in anything they do because it sells stories. And let's not forget, that's what the media is there to do. It's to sell stories and make money. And if you are a leader in your field, you are seen as fair game to media and those in the public. So I think it's a whole host of reasons why, unfortunately, there is a significant amount of false allegations, misinformation. And I think that's only going to get worse, Raf. And I think... You know, I look back now and I'm about to sound old. I didn't have Facebook on my phone. I didn't even have a mobile phone until I was 13, 14. And even then it didn't have access to the internet. I still had to use the dial-up connection in mom and dad's office. You think how far we've come in the last 15 years. You think how far we're gonna go in the next 15. It's a scary thought. And all of a sudden now what we're talking about, this instant accessibility, it's only gonna get, in my opinion, worse. And that is going to have an impact on not only celebrities, but on all of us, the way that we live our lives. What can we do? Gone are the time where you may be able to have a drink and a laugh in the pub with your friends or your you class as friends and think people may have picked up on it, but nothing will be done. Straight away, it can be out there now, let alone in five, ten years' time. So it's truly frightening from a lawyer's perspective, from a client's perspective, reputation is only going to become harder to manage and to make sure it stays intact.
0: Let me flip it over a little bit and think about one of the other high-profile cases that did end up in the court system. Again, probably not a case that you or your lawyer's firm were involved in, but I don't know. And it's the one that comes to mind, Ed Sheeran, and something to do with music, I think. Somebody had written a song or said that they'd written a song or some lyrics to a song And they accused Ed Sheeran, you you know, global icon in terms of music of nicking a couple of those lyrics or using whatever it was. And and someone as rich and as influential and as, you you know, iconized by like Ed Sheeran had to go to court. And you saw, again, like the Roonies and like the Vardies and like the Depp, you know, doing that ordinary thing of stepping into the court to defend themselves with their lawyers in tow. But my question is: When the, the little man, and I'm saying the person, the ordinary person—not that celebrities are not ordinary and people of influence are not ordinary—I know that they are—but when the, the the person who doesn't have the the powerful lawyers or can't afford to pay for you, you, you know the, the the lawyers that you talk about, or those that have the skills to win a case, do they lose out? I'm I'm just wondering whether you know Ed Sheeran and his tank against. Uh, a, a small individual who probably represented themselves with a—I a, don't know—I wouldn't even say a machine gun. You know, a tank <laughs> against a machine gun. The battle is, is, is very different. What, what are we thinking about when, when we look at those kind of scenarios, James?
1: It's a really good point, Raph. Um And what I should say is, so I wasn't involved in that Ed shearing case. So that was more around my understanding of IP and music, intellectual rights, and chords being the same on opening sessions that allegedly may have also been used on another track historically and they weren't given the rights to it. I don't know the ins and outs, that's the basic understanding. But put that aside, you will always hear a phrase and that phrase is access to justice. That phrase can be used in criminal matters but also civil. But it's really, really important and it goes to the heart of what you have said. And the only way that I can answer your question is this. And this is me taking off my media lawyer's hat, forgetting who my client base is. Money talks, Raph, and that is an really unfortunate situation because if you have money, you can afford to either defend or bring a claim on your behalf. Now, if you are like me, you know, not rich, I, I do okay. I'm not rich by any stretch of the imagination. If someone forced me to court to pay, I would really, really, really struggle. And I would not be able to go to whoever the best, whatever the best means, lawyers to get representation. And straight away, it's in a David Vigoliath situation, as you say. So it's an unbalanced system. It's not perfect. It needs a lot of work. Is there access to justice? Absolutely not. That's my personal view. My personal view is that the court system... It needs to be restructured. Undoubtedly, again, in my view, it's underfunded. It's under-resourced. The right to even get through a court itself is really, really costly. And I used some figures in our, in our chat uh, 10, 15 minutes ago, Raf. Those figures are eye-watering. £1.5 million. I mean, the normal man off the street, woman off the street... Simply cannot afford that. There is no way. But let me put this into context. In a journey to go to court, and when I say to court, we go back to your point of you're walking up the steps of the court, you go into a hearing, however long that may be. There is a whole journey behind that. Six, 12, 18 months worth of work has gone into that. Throughout that time, there are a number of off ramps. Now, those off ramps, a settlement opportunities. So Vardy and Rooney, the case was paused for a number of months to try and see if they could do a deal in a mediation. I won't bore you what a mediation mediation is, but it's a third party trying to bridge the difference between them to try and see if an amicable settlement can be reached. For whatever reason, it couldn't in that scenario. So they proceeded to court. But the journey from your A to your Z, it's a long one. It's costly. A normal person cannot afford to take it because the risk at the end, and this is a rule of thumb, if you are successful, you get your 70% worth of costs that you have incurred. So use round numbers, you spent a 100 grand, you'll more than likely get 70,000 back because the loser will be awarded you 70%, 70, 70,000, the loser will have to cover their own costs, But actually, you've got a shortfall of £30,000. No one wins in litigation. You still have this significant financial shortfall. Now, yes, the court can order more for certain things. So if you haven't abided by the rules or if you've done certain things that you shouldn't have done, that 70% can be uplifted to something called indemnity costs. But it's few and far between. So actually, that's why me and others like me will say to whoever comes to me, This is your case. What's your objective? What do you want from this? How can we get you there in the quickest route possible, in the most cost-effective possible? And it may be that we say the only way we can get you there is to go to court. Does that align with what your objectives? Does that align with what you want? Does that align with your legal spend? And if that's a yes, that's fine. But certainly, Raph, you need money to do that. It's so interesting
0: because you brought me right back to where we started, which is, if I remember rightly, when we started this conversation, James, you talked about trying to prevent your clients ending up in a costly court hearing. And so, you know, you do as much as you possibly can to, to reduce the risk of that going ahead and, uh, and steer at least 90%, I think you said 80, 90% of your cases. What does it take then? My final question, what does it take to, to avoid those astronomical costs to your clients, to the accuser, the accused, to the courts, to everybody. What does it take to avoid that scenario in a case where it's going to be more costly to go to court to try and, you know, I don't know, protect your reputation or to, to, to shine a light on the accuser or, or, or whatever it is? What does it take? Because I'm, I'm imagining, you know, it's a, let's say it's a newspaper article and they're about to write a story about one of your clients that's untrue. And um, if that story gets printed, r- truthful or not truthful, it's going to be damaging. Either way, doesn't matter what happens next, even if they get an apology, the damage is done because someone who read the paper today won't read the same one tomorrow. So
1: they, you know, so what does it take? So I'm going to give you a stat. And then I'm going to answer your question. And I think it, it may well be worthwhile just to, because your example is basically referring to the Depp, the, the Sun newspaper. Um, but I'm going to give you a stat first. So in the first half of 2022, and these stats may vary, but they're pretty accurate from the source, from the court, only 53 claims were issued for defamation. Now, only a handful of those will ever get to trial. So there's a difference between issuing and trial. Issue is you issue court proceedings, so your claim is live, but then you've got a number of hurdles to go to until there's a trial. It goes back to the 6, 12, 18 months worth of work that needs to go into as You
0: said 53 cases across the whole of England, Wales, Scotland.
1: So in England and Wales, because that's the jurisdiction that we work in, only England and Wales, there are only 53. Now, only a handful of those will go to trial. And of those 53,
0: some of them will be just, I don't know, cases that are sort of between people over there. And some of those cases will be public figures and celebrities and high-profile individuals. Yeah,
1: yeah, so they're not all going to be celebrities. They can be the normal man off the street, if you you want to call them that, or, or celebrities. But only 53. Now, that's a really low amount, really low. And then if you factor in a handful, four or five will go to trial. Not a lot. That flows into your question of, well, what do you do? Because if you have an issue, it's really important that straight away from the outset, you understand what the objective is, and then you can look at the arsenal of legal tools in your locker, so which one fits best? Now, the example that you gave, Raf, was a newspaper printing a story about an individual that is fundamentally false. And we touched on defamation. What is defamation? And we didn't expand on it. So I think it's probably worthwhile just running through what is defamation at a really, really high level. Because it's quite interesting. And I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty. So this is just a high level helicopter view over what is defamation. So the first thing to say is if you have a claim for defamation, that needs to be brought from one year from the point in time that you think you have been defamed or you have become aware of it. So it's quite a short lifespan. It covers both libel and slander. So again, everyone's probably heard of libel and slander, but what does it mean? So libel is effectively a lasting form of publication, so print or online, so written. And the claimant, the person bringing the claim, must prove that on the balance of probabilities, they have suffered serious reputational harm. Serious being the key word. Slander are words that are spoken. So it's me to you now. Nothing's been written down. It's me talking to you. And the claimant, so again, the person must show that tangible damage has been caused. Those are two types of defamation. Before 2013, everything was ingrained in common law. So there was no written statute. There was no written rule book. It's what happened in the past from the cases, What did the cases tell us? What did the judgments tell us? That's how it was built up. Back in 2013, the Defamation Act 2013 came into force. It's basically a rule book or a Bible that sets out what is defamation, what are the defences, what do you need to prove, what can you get from bringing a defamation claim. So along with defamation, coming back to the arsenal of weaponry that I talked about, You can also consider something called causes of action. So a cause of action is a legal terminology of, okay, I've been wronged, but legally, how can I get that right? What's the legal cause of action? So you've got something called a malicious falsehood. So if someone publish, if someone maliciously publishes a false statement, which identifies and causes that individual loss, you could look to bring a malicious falsehood claim. There's something called a breach of confidence as well. So if something that's sensitive, whether it's a business or an individual, is taken from them and then it causes them harm, it could be a breach of confidence or misuse of private information, basically what it says on the tin. So if you have misused private information to the detriment of the other individual for your benefit, You can also bring that. And then harassment. You know, harassment, we've all heard of that. If you are harassing someone, that can be a legal course of action. But let's focus on defamation because that's what the newspapers predominantly are looking at. The courts have a really difficult job. They need to balance, on one hand, the right to protect a person's reputation, but also the right to freedom of expression under Article 10 of the Human Rights Act. So it's a really, really difficult job. It's a fine, fine line. But how do you prove a defamation claim? There's a couple of stages, and I'm just going to whiz through them because I know that we're short on time. So you must prove that the words that you claim are actually defamatory. So in other words, do the words complained of lower the claimant in the estimate of the right-thinking general public. And it must have a serious adverse effect on the way that people would treat them. And in addition to that, it must cause serious harm to the reputation. Serious harm. I say that because it can't just be minimal. It's got to be serious. So the bar is set quite high. It also needs to be a published statement. And you then need to take into account the word used. So will the ordinary reader attribute the way that you are trying to portray those words to the way that you are setting it out that they have been defamatory. And then they must identify the individual. If you can do that, then there are certain defences that can be brought. I'm going to focus on two because they apply to the newspaper scenario and the depth, the sun, and also Vardy Rooney, truth. So if it is truth, It's an absolute defence to show that a defamatory statement is true. So not every allegation needs to be true. The substantial sting that it's referred to. So the substantial element, if that is true, that is a complete defence. Or honest opinion. So if the statement complained of was a statement of opinion and it was honest and a normal person would attribute it to being honest, those could be defences. Now, what was proved in the Depp and Rooney case, the truth defence won on both occasions. And that is why both of the individuals, well, the Sun is an individual, the Sun newspaper and Rooney won their cases because they relied on and they got over the hurdle of proving the substantial element of what they said was true. So Rooney, for example, in the Instagram tweets where she'd narrowed it down and the it, the famous line in her tweet, and it is Rebecca Vardy. It was found that on the balance of probabilities, it was truthful that it was Vardy releasing the stories. So hopefully that's a good overview as to what you need to do to bring a claim and then defend the claim. But it's a really, really, really delicate area of law that you do need specialist advice on. Because if you don't build the foundation solidly from day dot, which leads into what's your strategy, what's your tactics, what's your objective? The house can come tumbling down really, really quickly, not only from a legal perspective, but more importantly, from a reputation point of view.
0: And I suspect I mean, it's fascinating stuff. And, I, uh, you, you know, as you conclude in the Deb case, in the Rooney case, why they were... You know, successful, or those cases were successful. Although I think in the debt case, wasn't he initially, and I don't want to get into this, but I think wasn't he initially found guilty of uh, a physical abuse or abuse? And then he appealed and then the case was overturned. And I don't know whether these are different grounds, but I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of that. What I do find interesting is if truth is one of those um components that you can defend an allegation or defend uh, a claim of defamation against y- y- you being accused of, it, 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 does it go so far? And this is a rhetorical question really, is me kind of thinking, does it go so far as if I tell you something, And as a journalist, you believe it to be true, and then you publish it. You were publishing what you believe to be true on the account of what I told you when I was telling you a pack of lies. And I suppose that's another murky world, isn't it? Because if I have a great reputation, let's say I'm a senior politician, and I come and say, ah, James, Raphael's been up to no good. And you, as the editor of a newspaper, believe me, the politician telling you that Raphael's been up to no good, you can... Publish that on the basis that you believed your source, even though your source was making up a pack of lies to serve another purpose. And I suppose that becomes even murkier, right?
1: Yeah, it's a really murky, murky world, Raf. Um, And I think there's, there's numerous defenses that you would look at. So would it be truth? Would it be honest opinion? Would it be publication in the public interest? There's lots of issues that we haven't covered off here that could apply there. But I think the depth one. My understanding, and I think what you were talking about, and it's quite important, was the case case over America. So the case here, in a nutshell, was that Depp sued the Sun newspaper after it claimed he assaulted his ex-wife. He denied it. The Sun said it was truthful. It was accurate. The judge found on that one that on the balance of probabilities, what was in the article was substantially true. And out of the 14 alleged incidents, 12 of them on the balance of probabilities Were truthful. Now that played out over here separate to how it played out in the US. Different jurisdictions, different rules, different different battlegrounds, so to speak. But it comes back to right at the beginning of our conversation: is it worth going to court even in the first instance? So let's say you've got the money, let's say you've got the drive, let's say that you've got the ambition to want your day in court to be To be found that you are the truthful person. Is it worth it? And only the client knows the answer to that. I am only here to advise and guide and lead and provide my advice. Ultimately, half people can ignore what I say all day long. I am here just to counsel them as best as I can. But I think misinformation, allegations, they're going to increase. How do people react to that? Normal people, celebrities... And that's where I think, again, coming back into education is key. So how do you minimise the risk of that issue even happening? And if it does happen, how do you then deal with it succinctly and on a risk-proportionate basis? And the answer to that is until you get a case in front of you and until you speak to someone, every single case is different. And that's why I love doing what I do because no two days are the same. Everything is different, different slants, different approaches, different strategy, different tactics, different art weapons that we can use. That's why my job, I think, is so interesting.
0: As I always say it's the last question and I'm three questions <laughs> on, and I but I just wonder if, you know, as you say, technology moves on and the social media platforms. That doesn't make any difference right in the line of of what's happening here because it doesn't matter what platform whether it's on Instagram or whether it's in the Sun newspaper whether it's on the internet or on somebody's website whether it's done verbally or it's captured on video on somebody's phone that doesn't matter right Um, I mean obviously it matters in terms of the details of the case but regardless of the changes in technology and how the accusations are made public that could damage somebody's reputation or the, the, the vice versa, the method really doesn't matter, or does it?
1: No, I, I agree with you to a certain degree. So I think the method doesn't matter. I think what I'm trying to say is the volume is only going to increase because of the instant accessibility. So we've got 53 cases, I think I said it earlier in this conversation. I think that will more than likely increase if if what we are talking about here plays out to celebrities because it comes back to the point of you need money to really bring a court claim and see it through but i suppose what i'm trying to say is all that is going to happen is that instant accessibility at people's fingertips is going to grow if it grows there is more opportunity to a problem to arise And if a problem arises, that is where people need me. So actually, the method is the same. The law is the same. It's still going to be publications. It could be oral, whether it's written or not. But the volume is only going to go up, in my opinion. Because again, you know, now, times are tough, for example. Cost of living, we're all feeling the pinch, whoever that may be. If you are financially driven to try and squeeze an individual, I'm seeing it now with corporate clients, cash is king. When there are hard times, people rely on cash. If people want to try their look and try and bring a claim in the aim of their ultimate objective is money, that is only going to be a driver for more cases to come forward. I'm not saying that's the ultimate driver. I'm not saying that's the only example. What I'm trying to say not too eloquently is my opinion, the more that technology progresses, the more people have instant accessibility. Reputation is going to be harder and harder to protect, and that's where people are going to need legal services more than ever, particularly if you are in the public eye.
0: We didn't really go into any detail about the corporate world, which is another side of your work we've just focused on, but is there much difference? I mean, you touched on it there, that in the corporate world, you know, employees, employers, you know, there's conflict there, and there are different issues at play, I suspect, Is there much difference in in how you would take on uh, an allegation or an accusation?
1: No, no. I say that purely because, again, reputation, whether that is an individual or whether it's a corporate, it takes months, years to build. It can be destroyed in seconds. A brand, whether that is a corporate brand or an individual brand, brands sell. People rely on brands to sell their products whether you are selling yourself as a celebrity or whether you are selling a brand for a product that you produce, that you sell, whatever that may be, tangible or intangible, reputation is fundamental to success. And because it's so fundamental, it is so, so precious to protect and to make sure that you are seen as being clean, I think Richard Branson said a famous quote, your brand name is only as good as your reputation. Corporates rely on brand. If your brand is tainted, people steer clear from it. We all can think of brands that have had some kind of knock that they haven't really come back from. Or if they have come back from it, it's taken them a significant period of time.
0: Or they change their name. Or they rebrand. Let, Let me ask you this then, is there a document or some mechanism that corporates or individuals who are trying to protect their brand or their reputation, is there a document that you can put in place? You touched on sort of data protection or privacy earlier on, but would a corporate have the means to protect their reputation being tarnished by their employees by having them sign certain documents, which a individual, like a celebrity or high profile individual doesn't have at their exposed disposal, unless of course, they're employing someone. And you know, like a personal assistant or somebody who does their, their dressing, and they don't want people to know that they, you, you know, mess themselves every morning, because they have an illness or something that might be something that they need to protect. Their, their reputation, uh, if that is a reputational thing. But I'm just wondering whether there is a document that a corporate has that a brand doesn't have that can protect them from future accusations.
1: So I think the easy answer to that is as a corporate, putting aside that most of the corporates that I work with have their own PR department, have their own policies and procedures in place as to crisis management, So how do you deal with an allegation that will affect the reputation, that will affect the brand. So we've got all of the policies and procedures in place that should this occur, people know what they're doing. I think your question is, can you try and limit an employee from negatively tarnishing the brand? I think the first building block is the employment contract. So the employment contract, there will be certain provisions in there where you need to show goodwill to your employee, uh, employer, Sorry, where you need to protect... Uh, confidential information. Um There may also be other elements in there and it may not be written in the contract, but it can be uh, taken from, in effect, the, the law that is intangible around it, that you owe your, your employer a duty uh, to protect them as much as possible. So I think that the building block is the employment contract first and foremost. Yes, you can then put in, con- in place contracts over and above that. So for example, this is an extreme... Very, very extreme example, but you will have heard of it. Non-disclosure agreements, NDAs, they're referred to. So if you have brokered a parting of ways with a disgruntled ex-employee, you can enter into a settlement agreement or an NDA. One of the terms of that will be, for example, no disparaging remarks, complete confidentiality. That is designed to protect the brand. And that can work both ways, by the way. That can work from the corporate, not alleging or saying what the employee did and also the employee doing that to the employer. That is the main difference between a celebrity because a celebrity is their own being. They're their own entity. They're their own living and breathing employer, in effect. Employer and employee in one. Um, So there's, there's little protection there. So yes, there is a slight difference, but ultimately that's just a hurdle to try and prevent someone from doing something If someone wants to tarnish the brand or make an allegation, whether it's true or false, they'll do it. Any document will not prevent a person from doing that. It may provide a hurdle, but it cannot and will not fundamentally stop someone from saying something if they want to. And there's been occasions in the US predominantly where people have signed NDAs and all of a sudden received a payout from it. And then two or three years down the line, broken it because they thought it was in the public interest. Now, as an individual, you open yourself up to all kinds of legal bother in that instance. But my point is, just because you sign something, it is merely a hurdle to overcome. It doesn't fundamentally stop you from saying what you want to say or printing what you want to print. We've covered a lot of ground, taken on a lot of issues.
0: You've definitely given me insight and educated me. And I'm sure anybody listening to this will have a better understanding of why We find these cases hitting the headlines or in the public domain. But what really goes on from a legal perspective? Is there anything else that you'd like to add, James, that we've not talked about? Or are you now talked out an hour and 10 minutes on?
1: Ralph, I think we could speak for another two or three hours. It's where do you draw the line on this? No, I think it's been a really, really, really good chat. We've skirted around most issues. They're all high level. We could speak in granular detail on defamation alone or what what opinions are on the court process or anything that we've covered, we could go into granular detail. So I think for now, we leave it there. But what I would say is, if people want to ask me any questions, you can find my details on the internet. More than happy for you to drop me an email. Uh, It's james.modley at tenantlaw.com. .co.uk. Uh, visit the website, see what you think. If you want to speak to me about anything that we've spoken about, feel free. But it's really, really been a pleasure, Ralph. I've really, really enjoyed this. So I think for now, who knows, we may do another one in future focusing on a specific topic. But for now, it's been a pleasure and I thank you for your time. Thank you, James.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Second Chance podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated quick reminder that you can also find the videos of these interviews on our youtube channel at second chance podcast where you can also subscribe to be notified of new episodes please share our episodes with your friends family and colleagues and follow us on youtube and your preferred podcast platform for updates on new episodes your feedback is crucial to the growth of our podcast please rate and review our episodes and let us know your thoughts in the comment section you can also listen to my interview with James in my audio book, You Are Accused, also available on Audible. Click the link in the description or search for You Are Accused by Raphael Rowe to get your copy. This podcast was brought to you by Second Chance Media Productions. Audio Avalanche handles audio editing. J-Rowe Productions created the original soundtrack. Studio Minerva designed the eye-catching cover. If you haven't already, please follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook and LinkedIn. Just look for Second Chance Podcast with me, Raphael Rowe. Thanks for tuning in.